So, so there's a sound, a sound that you are familiar with more than any other. When you hear it, your whole being responds and reacts, shifting towards it, suddenly conscious of nothing else. By this sound, you have been shaped. You have been identified at one and the same time as very common and yet beautifully unique. This sound travels with you. It goes before you. It follows after you. When the sound is loud, it can summon up all anger, hatred, revenge, joy. When that sound is soft, it invites compassion, seduction, intimacy, love. It is a sound that both creates and also corrects. And if I was to make this sound right now, it would fill you with a sense of dignity and honor not possible in any other way. What is this sound? It is your name. And the day when my wife and I named our daughter is perhaps one of the most special days of my life. If you've been here at The Vine for a while, you'll know that my wife and I were not able to have our own biological children. And so we have built our family through the wonder of adoption. And I remember adoption being a difficult journey with some beautiful moments in it. And one of, the, one of the interesting things about adoption is that you often, with adoption, don't meet the child on the first day that they're born. Often that will happen later. My wife and I were matched to our daughter when she was 16 months old. Uh, the photo that's coming up here behind me now uh, was taken. I know. I just wanted to put a photo of my daughter. That's, I shaped the whole message around that photo right there. Uh, I, I took this photo just 15 minutes after meeting her for the very first time. Can you imagine? Like heart melt moment, right? Now here's the interesting thing. Our daughter, understandably, came with a name. I mean, she was 16 months old, wasn't she? And so she had been given a, a name from her, her biological mother. And so in the first two sessions when we spent time with our daughter, uh, we used the name, of course, that she had been given. But my, my wife and I, we had said during the adoption process, long before we got matched, that we wanted the honor of naming our child. Because most other families, when they give birth biologically, have that honor of doing that. And we, we didn't want that honor necessarily taken away from us because there's power in naming something. That naming something carries with it a story and a journey and speaks of something. And so we wanted to do this. And so we had a list of names, just like every normal family, a list of names. Some were good, some were really bad, but there was a list of names. And we decided that we were going to spend a couple of times meeting with our daughter before deciding which name was suitable because we wanted to name her in a way that would capture her character captures something about her, because that's what names do, don't they? They shape and tell you something about that person, who they are, maybe something that, that labels them in a certain way. And so we spent a couple of sessions just hanging out with her, getting to know her, discovering her personality. And soon after that, about a week after meeting her, uh, when I took this photo for the first time, we named her Mia Lynn Gardiner. Mia is Latin for mine. This was like 
my wife and I going, back off every human being in the world. This one is mine. This one is ours. We're taking this one into our family. No one else is ever going to have this one. This is her forever family. But we also knew that this was an important name for her too. For every time she says her name from that moment onwards, she's also declaring, these parents are mine. No one can take them away from me either. They are mine. They've, they're, they're a part of my forever family. So she is Mia, mine. Lynn is my, mo- my wife's mother's... <coughs> Out. Um, is my wife's mother's name. And it's a beautiful name. And we decided that when we were naming Mia, that we had to name her along her New Zealand family, not just her British family. We knew that she would have the last name Gardner, my name as the British family line. But we also decided that she needed to carry her New Zealand family name. That's important, the far now in New Zealand. That's the Maori name for, for family. And we wanted her to represent her, her far now in New Zealand. So Lynn was the gateway for that, saying that Mia was connected to the land of the long white cloud, That's New Zealand. And she's connected to the UK through me. And that name was important because there's power in a name. And now anytime that my daughter ever says that name, anytime I ever write it on a piece of paper, I'm declaring to the world that her story changed on that day. And her story is a beautiful one about to be written. She is mine. She's connected. She has a family. It is glorious. Now, the Bible, the Bible often talks about the power of a name. In fact, sometimes I think God spends most of his time in the Bible naming things. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. If you've been coming to the Vine for a while and listening to my preaching, you'll know that so often I'll pause when I'm explaining a passage and I'll tell you about the name of somebody. I'll explain to you what that name means of a person or of the village that the disciples are in. Because more often than not, the Bible writers are including those names because in the name there is something captured that will tell you about that message, tell you about what God is actually trying to say and do in that moment. And I don't know if you've noticed this in the Bible either, But God has this tendency of changing people's names, of going, oh, you're this. No, you're not that. You're actually this. So we have God creating the very first human being, and he says this is Adam from the Hebrew word Adama. Adama meaning soil or dirt. And it was God's way of going, watch what God can do. That I can take the very soil and dirt of creation and create the most wonderful thing, this thing called humanity. Jacob, which means son of laughter, his name is changed to Israel, which means to suffer. And if I was him, I would rather have had the first name But God names him Israel because to suffer would be what what would shape and and face Israel as this nation's history. You could argue even to this day. And yet God, who walks with a group of people who are in pain and can show them his grace and his mercy. And if there's ever a nation that has shown the wonder and the miracle and the mercy of God, surely it is Israel. Simon. Simon, who has this moment, a fisherman for many years, has this moment of clarity When Jesus says, who do you think I am? And he says, you're the Messiah, the Son of God, right? And Jesus says, I'm no longer going to call you Simon anymore. But your name is Peter. Because Peter means rock. 
And from this point on, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build the people that will always gather under my name, under the foundation of the revelation of understanding that I am the Messiah. Oh, you're now Peter, the rock. God loves to change our names because it's a little bit like with Chris and I in that moment of adoption where we were honoring the name that she had been given, of course, by her biological mom, but we wanted to put an imprint on her to say that this is now her story. So God names us. And when he names us, it's like he's declaring over us our character, who we are, what it is that he sees in us. It is both a declaration of his ownership, but it is also an invitation into the prophetic life that we're going to live in him. And there is one name, one name that we should all long for him to call us. And to understand what that name is, we have to understand the trajectory of human history. My staff are going to roll their eyes right now because I'm going to talk about Genesis 1 and 2, and I do that a lot. But in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates humanity. Male, female, brings them together. And God reveals his intimacy to Adam and Eve. And God names them, claims them, and draws them to his family. And you see this wonderful picture of intimacy in Genesis 1 and 2. We're told that they walk together, the three of them, in this intimate family unit together, in the coolness of the nights in the garden itself, it is a wonderful picture of what the Bible describes as shalom, this word peace, which just basically means the wholeness of creation, the way things were always intended to be. This was before sin. This was before brokenness. This was the way that God had created his relationship with humanity to be. It's shalom. It's peace. And we know what happens then in Genesis 3 as we turn the page of the Bible. And Adam and Eve, through their disobedience to the things that God had called them to, bring sin into the world. And that ruptures that relationship, that intimacy they had in that garden, didn't it? And here's an interesting thing that happens. God pushes them out intentionally from the garden. In other words, he pushes them away from that intimacy that they had experienced because sin had now driven a wedge between the human and the divine. In a way, Adam and Eve are pushed out to be orphans in the world. And the rest of the biblical narrative is really Adam and Eve and then humanity trying to get back into right relationship with God, trying to do all that they can to win God's favor again. They even try to build a tower that reaches up to the heavens so that they can be with God again. And God comes and says, that's not the way this works. You have created the division, but if it's going to be restored, it's going to be restored at my hand. And God comes and he takes Abraham. He actually changes his name. His name's Abram. He changes it to Abraham. And he gives him a calling. You'll be a blessing to all nations. And through Abraham comes the line of Israel. And through that comes the people of God. And God meets with them and is in with them and begins to show them away, teaches them their character, gives them the law, helps them to understand how to live as representatives of his in the world. But that divide is still there and that sin still gets in the way. So God sends Jesus. Jesus, through his life and his death and his resurrection, pays the price for that brokenness and that division, stands in the gap. The Bible describes it as reconciling us back to him, creating shalom again, peace between humanity and God. He's declared Jesus the Prince of Peace. And in the Prince of Peace, as he reconciles us back to God, Paul then writing to the early church says this, guess what? You're not just reconciled to God. Now you are reconcilers in the world. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. 
And as you do that, guess what? You are doing that because you are now changed in your status with God. And the language that is used by Paul in the New Testament and the early church is the language of adoption. You've been adopted into God's family. That he, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done, you are now swept up in a new story. And so what is that name that is the most valuable, beautiful name you could ever be called? Child of God. You're a son and daughter of God. A child of God, meaning... You are now adopted into his family, meaning that your name has changed, your future has changed, your trajectory in life is changed. The enemy may have come to kill, steal, and destroy, but he has come to give life and life abundant. And we now have this name, children of God. And that, that name brings authority. That name marks us for something that is different to others in the world. And we don't hold that name with a sense of human pride. We hold it with humility, but it fills us with an authority and a power and a destiny that can be given no other way than the fact that Jesus has called you his child. Are you with me? All of which is why it's really important what Jesus says in the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes being this manifesto for Jesus of what the kingdom of God is all about. And I want you to read this, or I'm going to read this to you from Matthew 5, verse 9. It says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Sit with that for a moment. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the ones who hold my name. There are the ones who are going to live out this calling of being a child. Oh, it's the, the peacemakers. J Jesus says this, and it's really interesting because it's the only time in the Beatitudes where Jesus says this, where he names something or calls people something because of an attitude that they have. For the other Beatitudes, what results in that attitude is a action that responds to that attitude. Give me an example. Blessed are those who are merciful for they will receive mercy. Or blessed are those who seek and hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Or blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In other words, the action, the result, equals to what it is that they put in. Now, if Jesus had kept that formula, here's what he would have said at Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will know peace. But he didn't say that. He changes the formula here. And one of the questions we should ask ourselves as good Bible scholars as we read the Bible is, why does he mess up the formula here? What, what does this mean to say, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be children of God? Our temptation is to read that passage and go, well, this is a causation kind of statement. In other words, I earn my way into being in God's family by being a maker of peace. That's the wrong way to read this. That's a theological disaster. I mean, you know, right? You know that we don't earn our way into God's family. You don't earn your way into his acceptance and into his love. In fact, it's given to us through faith in grace. In fact, a very important passage to read here in relation to Matthew 5, 9 is John 1, verse 12. All who have received him, all who have believed in his name have the right to be called children of God. In other words, you don't earn it. You don't work towards it. 
you accept it, you receive it, you recognize that Christ has died for your sins, and when you bring that to him, you're set free, and you find new life, and just because of that, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're a child of God. So when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be named, called children of God, what is he saying here? He's saying that your peacemaking doesn't cause you to be in your family. Your peacemaking shows the world that you're a part of my family. It's Jesus saying, you want to know what my children look like? They look like people who make peace. A few years ago, my daughter Mia, she wanted to start to learn how to skateboard. I was so excited because I grew up as a skateboarder. Skateboarding was my big passion when I was a teenager into my early 20s. When I turned 40, I had a midlife crisis and I couldn't afford a motorbike, so I brought a skateboard. (laughs) I love skateboarding, always have, always followed it. And a few years ago, my daughter said, Daddy, I've seen you skateboard. I wanna try it. I was like, this is the best day of my life. (laughs) So we brought her a skateboard, we brought her all the pads, made sure it was safe, we took it to the skate park and I was amazed, blown away. She went up in the slopes and down the slopes. I mean, within the first day, she was skating so confidently. And I realized that she had the same anointing that her father had. And, and, and I was so impressed because everybody thinks it's DNA, but it's not always biological. And as she's skateboarding, this is what comes out of my mouth, almost naturally without me even thinking about it. That's my girl. Are you with me? And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you know what? When you walk into a difficult conflict, when you brave a hard conversation that you've been putting off, when you humble yourself towards somebody that you've upset and there's a division, when you actually become a maker of peace, I step back and I go, that's my girl. That's my boy right there. That's my child. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the ones that prove they are my children. Are you with me? Oh, this is so beautiful and deeply challenging. Because if this is true, then perhaps one of the most important things that the people of God must do at all times is everyday peacemaking. And I I think that raises a challenging question for us as a church in this time. Are we proving to be God's children in the very hour of Hong Kong's history when we need to be the most? Are we? Because blessed are the peacemakers, for they're the ones where I'm going to go, that's mine. That's Mia. Mine. I want to unpack for you a little bit what peacemaking is all about today because I want to call us as a church to it because I believe that as we reopen ourselves after this fifth wave, there is no more important thing for us to be doing than being makers of peace. What does Jesus mean when he says, blessed are the peacemakers? Well, let me tell you what he didn't say. He didn't say this, blessed are the peacekeepers for they will be called children of God. Peacekeepers are those who will do everything in their power to avoid conflict. Peacekeepers are those that will submit to compromise all the time. They were the ones who will will do whatever it can to make sure that no one is upset with them, no one is upset with anybody else, that everything is okay, right? Everything's okay? I'm sure everything's okay. Are you sure it's okay? I'm not sure if it's okay, but we're going to pretend it's okay, right? 
Peacekeepers are those that will compromise their values and their beliefs at times to ensure that there is just this kind of sense of harmony amongst people. They're the ones that are going to do their very best not to upset anybody. There might be a raging elephant in the corner of the room, but they are serving tea with a fake smile on their face. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. That's not the way of Jesus. Jesus never advocated for peace through self-ignorance or avoidant behavior. In fact, sometimes Jesus was willing to break the false peace of the status quo in order to actually build the true peace of the kingdom of God. We saw one of those very moments last week, didn't we, when he walked into the temple and overturned the tables there, upsetting the false peace of the status quo of the temple. See, peacekeeping is passive, but peacemaking is active. Jesus also didn't say this. He didn't say, blessed are the peace lovers, for they will be called children of God. Everybody loves the idea of peace. Oh, yeah. I challenge you to find someone who doesn't like the idea. Oh, I like war. I want war. You know, most people love peace. And they'll tweet about it. They'll post about it. They'll hashtag about it. They'll put something up on Instagram that fights for peace, that says something. They'll quote some famous person that said something about peace. Oh, everybody wants to be a peace lover, but nobody actually wants to do the hard work of creating peace. So you can be a peace lover all you want. You can wax lyrical about it. But if you're not actually working in your life towards creating and building peace, then you are not a child of God. You're not someone God's going to stand over and say, hey, well done. Well done for having the idea of peace. Great job. Oh, well done for having a heart towards peace. That's nice. No, no, this person right here is walking into conflict and doing the hard work of extending their hands towards those who are opposed to one another and doing their best through a self-sacrificial moment of love to see two people who cannot talk together and build a bridge towards them. That is someone who is making peace. And I have to be really careful not to stand up here today, and I was challenged on this this week as I was preparing this message, that I cannot stand before you as a peace lover. I have to try to stand before you as someone committed to the hard work of peace. Jesus also didn't say this. He didn't say, blessed are the peace achievers, for they will be called children of God. And I'm so glad he didn't say that. Because you know what? No matter how hard we might try sometimes, sometimes we can't achieve peace. Sometimes peace is elusive to us. Sometimes peace seems to be a little bit too far away. Sometimes, despite our efforts, the other person that we're trying to be reconciled to doesn't want to be reconciled to, and we feel a failure because of that. Jesus did not say, blessed are the peace achievers. He said, blessed are the ones who are committed to the process of working towards peace. You have to read Matthew 5, 9 in conjunction with Romans 12, 18. There it says this, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. I love the practicality of Paul. If possible, because it isn't always possible. But if it is possible, live at peace with one another. But then notice this, even if it is not possible, you better make sure that you're not the one who's holding up the peace. In other words, as far as it depends on you, the ball's in your court in God's eyes. 
And he's saying, you better be working all you can towards making peace. And sometimes that peace will not be achievable because there's some other things happening. The other person's not willing to respond. The other side is staying away. I understand that. But you better be making sure that you're not a conduit to breaking peace. You better make sure that you're doing everything that you can to live peacefully with the people around you, holding out your hands, building those roles, walking in the conflict as much as you can because blessed are the peacemakers, not the peace achievers. Trust me with the achievement of peace, Jesus is saying to his people. Put it in my hands. It's my grace, ultimately, that creates peace. Your role? Give up your life. Pick up your cross. Lay down your pride. Lay down even the fact that you think you're right. And love your neighbor and your enemy as yourself. Oh. Our ultimate example of a peacemaker, of course, is Jesus Christ. He's our example and our mentor. And a quick look at his life will show us what peacemaking is all about. It's not easy. You know, Jesus, amazingly, amazingly did not bring peace for Israel through the temptation of picking up military might or physical violence. In fact, the one time where we see a disciple physically being violent to another, taking a sword and cutting off a centurion's ear, Jesus is so freaked out by this moment of violence that he picks up the bloody ear and he walks up to the soldier who must have been wailing his eyes out and places it on his head and prays and restores him back to life. Jesus is one who who doesn't use violence to achieve peace. In fact, he's one who models something very different to us. See, Jesus shows us that the life and the work of the peacemaker is not some fairy tale euphoria, but it is some gritty, subversive, and sacrificial life of faithfulness to God and to a kingdom that has standards that are different to the systems and powers of this world. That's Jesus. That's Jesus, the Prince of Peace who's willing to lay down his life so that others might know reconciliation again. And one of the great arguments that comes against the church when the church tries to be a peacemaker is that oftentimes people will say, well, well, peacemakers are soft. Peacemakers are just kumbaya peace lovers. They're just interested in wiping over injustice, ignoring justice. I don't like peacemaking because it doesn't allow those who are evil to be held account for their evil. That's not peacemaking. That's peacekeeping. Jesus' role of peacemaking never averted the reality of an injustice that has happened, never covers up the reality that an evil may have been done. In in fact, peacemaking does not ignore injustice, nor does it advocate pressing on without addressing it. Peacemaking actually faces injustice. It actually runs and walks intentionally towards injustice and conflict and stands within it in order to heal it. Are you following me? This is the life of Jesus Christ. Think about it for a second. Step back one moment. Think about this biblically. The greatest conflict that there ever was in all of creation was that conflict in Genesis 3 between humanity and God. The greatest divide that's ever happened, the one that's caused the most amount of pain, is that divide that happened in that moment. And Jesus did not stand at a distance 
Jesus did not ignore the reality of sin. Jesus instead decided to incarnate himself. As Paul beautifully writes about in Philippians 2, was willing to leave his kingship behind and subvert himself to being a sacrifice for all people. Willing to subvert himself to the people of God, to humanity itself, in order to win them, in order to love them, in order to show them a new way. He was willing to be ridiculed, spat on, sent to a cross, killed in the most painful way. Why? Because he was willing to be inside the very heart of the injustice, of the brokenness of humanity and restore it from within. And in doing that, he shows us what reconciliation and justice truly is. And then God's people are now called to be ministers of that reconciliation. What does it mean for us to be peacemakers, to stand back, to pretend that there's a big elephant in the room and ignore it by drinking a cup of tea? Does it mean that we love justice and tweet it out and think that that's great and we've ticked that box? Or does it actually mean picking up our cross, laying down our lives, taking our pride, killing it, and being willing to do the hard work of being God's true children, ones that he can call mine? Hmm. I, I think as we, as we wrestle with this, we have to sit in this reality that peacemaking is tough, that it's scary, that it takes a lot of courage to do that kind of work. My, my friend and mentor, Shane Claiborne, um, I've, I've followed him for many years. I have a relationship with him. We talked a number of times about peacemaking. He's been here at the Vine, actually, uh, talking to us at the Justice Conference about peacemaking. Uh, he wrote this. Peacemaking doesn't mean passivity. It is the act of interrupting injustice without mirroring injustice. The act of disarming evil without destroying the evildoer. The act of finding a third way that is neither fight nor flight, but the careful, arduous pursuit of reconciliation and justice. Isn't that beautiful? God stands back from these kinds of people and he goes, that's my girl. That's my boy. Look at them. Look at them go. Mm. I think as we emerge from this fifth wave, as we think about what it means to be reopened to a Hong Kong society, that is still deeply divided from three years ago. We have to emerge as makers of peace. I think we are in a window of opportunity because we are the only people, we are the only humans in this city, I believe, who are able to offer the brokenness and the division a new way and a new path. Surely we who have been marked as the children of God are the ones who can step forward in this time with a new story, with a new name on us and a new name on others and say we're willing to forge those that have been at the extremes and draw them together. Because there may not be any physical protest still on our streets in Hong Kong, but there's still deep divisions in families in this city. There's still deep divisions in, in workplaces in churches, in the generations of this city. Those things have not gone away. The passing of a law has not removed them from this city. And we have an opportunity to say, there's a lot of hurting people, ourselves included. Oh man, though, what would it look like if we didn't take a side and we actually fought for peace? You see, being a peacemaker is hard work. It is a lot easier to be an extremist with a perspective. 
Oh, it's a lot easier to take an extreme position when it comes to a, a divisive debate. It's a lot easier to be yellow or blue. It's a lot easier to stand for abortion or stand for pro-life. It's a lot easier to decide to, uh, to stand for black or stand for white or stand for gay or stand for straight or whatever the issue might be. It's much easier to push yourself to the extreme and find a tribe there and point a finger at the people on the other side. That's the easy path, but that's not the path of Jesus. Jesus forges a narrow path, a, a path in the middle, one in which you take the hand of those that are deeply opposed to each other and you do the work of embracing the conversations having the, the talk, embracing the words, being honest with the brokenness, talking about the hurt, not covering up the injustice, but instead working together, finding the beauty and the honor of our humanity together, seeing the moments of God, even in the other person on the other side. And when we do that, we are becoming his children, showing the world what God's family looks like. But if we stay on the extremes and point the finger we are dividing and we are showing the world we are children of the enemy who has come to kill, divide, and destroy. And we have this invitation to stand in the middle. Even if we might have opinion about which side might be right or wrong. And lay down our right to be right and serve the other, even the other that we disagree with. I wonder what the future of Hong Kong might look like if we really were the children of God. Now, I don't wanna just be a lover of peace and not a maker of it. I wanna help you with this. And I've gone a little bit long. I'm gonna go another five minutes and tell you how to do this. Is that okay? Because I know you wanna know how. You're like, okay, Andrew, that's a lot of good stuff. All right, I get it, Andrew. You won me over with scripture. I still have no idea how I do this. Oh, Andrew, you don't know about my situation. You don't know how bad that is. You, you haven't seen the division that I'm dealing with. There's no way that can be fixed. Here's a couple of quick practical ways that you can be an everyday peacemaker. And this is where the last two weeks of this course, of this time together has all come together. This is the culmination of what this has all been about. Here's the first thing. We begin our healing journey. You can't be a peacemaker if there is still deep trauma inside of you. And in week one, I spoke about the power and the need that we have for forgiveness, for mercy, for God's love to restore and renew us. Oh, we lean into him in our healing journey so that we go forward as peacemakers, not perfect, but ones that have received the touch and heal and liberation and reconciliation of God. That's week one. Week two, here's the second thing. We deal with our sin. Week two, I said, we have to go and invite Jesus into our temple and allow him to turn over some tables that need to be turned over. We need to deal with our sin. We need to make sure that as we move forward as peacemakers, that we're again, not perfect people, but people under the grace of God. And here's what will happen every single time. Your sin will drive you to the extremes. It is God's grace and forgiveness, his holiness and purity that will sustain you in the middle space. Here's the third thing. Embrace relational proximity. What that means is you cannot hope to be a peacemaker and stay removed from the people you're trying to build peace with. It means that you cannot try to be a peacemaker and try to stay away 
not know, not be in relationship with the ones that perhaps are hurting you, upsetting you. Oh, well, we have to have relational proximity. Jesus modeled for this beautifully. He hung with the sinner. He hung with the outcast. He hung with the ones that weren't allowed in the temple, the ones that were unclean. And equally, he hung with those with power. He hung with the Pharisees. And with every single one, he ministered justice, truth, reconciliation, love. He didn't choose sides. He drew people to the kingdom of God. If you want to be an everyday peacemaker, you have to be willing to get to know some people that you don't like. Here's the third thing, fourth thing maybe, can't remember. (laughs) Think beyond ourselves. This is a hard one to do. It's easy for us to think about our own situation and our own circumstance. Oh, pastor, my situation is X, Y, and Z. If you want to be an everyday peacemaker, you have to think beyond just your circumstance and think about the issue from the other person's perspective. Think about what it might be like that they're going through, what it is that they're challenged with, how they might feel in this situation, how even your own actions and words may have impacted them on their side. That's a very difficult thing to do. But this is a kingdom of God thing because Jesus came to the world and never sinned. But he looked on the other side to us who were sinners and he understood our pain. And he went to the cross because he believed he could heal that pain. Here's the next thing. Look for collaboration with the people you don't like. Guess what? The person you don't like and the person on the other side is not the sum total of the thing that's the issue. That's not the sum total of who they are. There are some beautiful moments of humanity in them. There are some beautiful moments of the goodness of God in them. And where we as everyday peacemakers, one of our skills is to look for the good in people, to look for the humanity in people. And when we find it, we connect to it. And we say, we're not that different. You and I, we're actually kind of same in many ways. And yeah, we might disagree with this thing, and that's a big thing, but we truly love one another, right? We, we, we can truly see that, that I'm grateful for you for this, and you're grateful for me for this, and we look for ways we can collaborate, because in collaboration, it doesn't solve everything, but it begins to forge a new path of friendship and respect. Here's the final thing. See it through. Now, you're not going to be a peace achiever. It's not seeing it through to get the achievement of peace, to get the badge of of the person of peace. No, it's to see it through so that you're doing everything in your power to bring peace through your everyday actions and your words and the things that you do. Remembering that as far as it depends on you, live at peace with others, see it through, be committed to the long haul of the way in which you need to humble yourselves, lay down your pride, apologize for the words you've said, apologize for the divide that you've created in others, and work your best to brave the hard conversations and to walk intentionally into the brokenness in order to heal it from within. You are the children of God. And God stands over you and he says, you are mine. You're little mias, if you will. Would we rise up as his children in this critical hour of Hong Kong's history? Will we not keep the peace, not love the peace? Would we make the peace? Because Christ has made it for us. I wonder if you'd stand with me. I'd love to pray for you. If you're online now, you can just close your eyes as well. I wonder whether you'd just be comfortable to open your hands online and in this room if if this is speaking to you today, if this is a moment for you just to humble yourself before the Lord. We do that here at the Vine as a posture of receiving as we pray. 
Father, we come before you now as ones who understand division and disruption, as ones who have contributed to disruption and division. Father, we come to you now recognizing that we're not always the children of God in this area. But Father, we also come to you now with the weight of this time in history on our shoulders and the wonderful opportunity we have to make a difference. Lord, we ask you to forgive us where we have tried to keep the peace and ignored the injustice. Tried to keep the peace by burying our heads in the sand at times. You haven't called us to be peacekeepers, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, where we found it easy to be lovers of peace, to talk about it, to shout about it, to post about it, but where we haven't lifted a single finger to repair the broken relationships that are in our own lives or to speak out in our workplaces or in the areas of our influence, to humble ourselves and to bring the two to be together as one. Forgive us, Lord. Father, I want to pray for your Holy Spirit to come now on this group of people online and in this room. Father, you commission us here today to be makers of peace. Lord, would you humble us, give us courage. Lord, there are people in this room that need to brave a conversation that they've been avoiding. I want to pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, you give them the courage this week to have that conversation they've been putting off. Father, there are some people in this room that need to admit that they were wrong and their pride has kept them from doing that and that pride has created a division. Lord, would you give them the courage this week to ask for forgiveness? Lord, there are some in this room that have deeply been hurt by others and Lord, I wanna pray for those people that as they commit to waging peace in the future, that you would meet them in the places of their hurt and heal and restore and redeem them, Lord. Father, we thank you that you call us your children. What a privilege that is. And so I wanna speak over every person here. You might be thinking right now, this is not gonna work in my situation. You might be here right now and go, Pastor, if you understood the depth of my division, if you understood what I'm going through, you would know that these, these nice words of yours today, they don't really scratch the surface of what I'm facing. And I want you to hear this. I, I don't fully understand, no. But there is one who does. And that one has called you his son or his daughter. That one has claimed you as his child. And because you are his child, you do not stand defeated. Because you are his child, you are not worn down or beaten up. Because you are his child, you are not removed. God is here to fight battles that you cannot fight. You are a child of God. There is an authority upon you. There is the Spirit of God in you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead exists, has its life, is flourishing in you. And yes, it might be difficult right now, but you are not done. You are not defeated. This is not the end for you. There is a God who has made peace, not just for you, but shalom for this world and He will fill you with the courage, with the Spirit, with the hope, and with the power to be a reconciler in this place. And so Lord, I wanna 
pray that you would release faith over the people in this room that you need to release faith over, Lord. And I pray that we would fight, not with violence, not with the world's method of fighting, but we would fight forwards with the weapons of the kingdom, humility, forgiveness, reconciliation, grace, love for enemy, for neighbor, for ourselves. Lord, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, everyone says.